C.S. Lewis once said, Of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. Friends, welcome back to the Magnus Podcast. I'm John Johnson, joined by Larissa Bianco. So today we've got an amazing podcast with Lee Bortons. This lady is a firecracker and a pioneer in education and a true warrior. It's short and sweet. You're going to love it. In the meantime, we have launched officially the Great Campaign uh, starting today, the Feast of St. Albert the Great, our patron, our namesake. We want to raise 100000 bucks. We know it's crazy, but so is all of this. So go to magnusinstitute.org, participate, and check out the video I just sent out to you via email, hopefully. If you're not on the email list, you should definitely do that, and we'll give you a little walkthrough of where we've come, where we're going with your help, and why you should give us your hard-earned money. It really is a good cause. Magnusinstitute.org for more or to give us your hard-earned money and enjoy this interview. College is a bubble. We're here to pop it. The Albertus Magnus Institute is reinventing the academy, offering education that's as free as it is free. Welcome to the Magnus Podcast. With your help, we are liberating the liberal arts. Now, your hosts, John Johnson and Larissa Bianco. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Magnus Podcast. Very special guest today, Lee Bortons. How you doing, Lee? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor to have you on. We're a big fan, seeing your work around the place, and uh, we have many questions for you. Larissa, how are you doing? I am doing well. Good to be Excellent. here. Excellent. Larissa, I know you have questions, but I want to ask Lee really, really quickly, why do I hate math? Um, probably because it's a foreign language and it wasn't taught to you that way, so you weren't given enough practice in speaking the fundamentals, and then they threw all this algebra and big equations at you and you really didn't know what they were asking you. Mm-hmm. There is a better way, right? I sure hope so. I'm launching one. I want to hear about it. Oh, so we're just, uh, it'll be for sale this um, spring. We're launching what's called the math map. And the intention of the math map is one to um, address math from a Christian perspective to in a way that's friendly to families so that um, it's mapped so all the students, no matter what their ages are, can be working on the same kind of work, which means that the teacher, tutor, parent has only one big idea to work on and uh, get better at while they're working with the students. And uh, it's basically through about eighth grade based on reading math. You know, if you think about uh, the old Oxford Cambridge model where they would they didn't say they were studying geography or literature, they would say they're reading literature or they're reading history. Well, reading math is really important too, and that's just kind of been lost. So we feel like if you can read the math as well as learn the grammar of math, which basically is your math facts, and then begin to put those together, it'll be a lot easier. Okay, now can I do this as a 40-year-old man, or is this Absolutely. only something for my children? Absolutely, because math is ageless. Can anybody read the Bible? Yes. Yes. Yeah, okay. then you have to start at the beginning, or could you jump in the middle? Right? Math is not way too. I started with way. I started with Revelation in the eighth grade, and, and then I was hooked, but it was also created some bad dreams for a young John Johnson. But it did change my life, so yeah, I... I'm the kind of guy who starts at the end of things. Yeah. 
All right. Awesome. Larissa, you go. Thanks. Well, honestly, I think we need to have you back just to talk about how you teach math classically and Christian in more depth, because that just sort of opened the door for more thoughts rather than, you know, made me satisfied. <laughs> when I, t- I gave your dad a one hour presentation, Andrew, or Andrew Kern, um, five years ago on what we were developing and he started crying. He said, this is so beautiful. So, but he's always very encouraging. Oh, good. Yeah. It sounds beautiful. It sounds like a beautiful approach to learning math, which I mean, I'm with John. Why don't I like it? And I think it's, you know, if you teach math the way you teach learning scripture, right? Like start with the facts, start with the scripture and it creates a love for it. But anyways, we will talk about that when we have you back. Okay. Today, I want to go back to, we were recently at Belmont Abbey College together for an event and I have since forgotten what event it was. Ciceronian Society. That's right. The Ciceronian Society. And I heard you speaking with two men from you were on a panel with two men from charter schools i believe they were both charter school founders or involved in charters four of us there was me in the association of classical christian schools and then someone from bailey's academy and somebody from hillsdale charters that's what it was that's right well i was struck because you seem to express thoughts on school choice laws that I found intriguing. So I'm going to, I want to let you tell us what is your, what's your opinion on the current debate around school choice laws? Yeah. You know, um, uh, men don't need school choice any more than they need pro-choice, right? We don't want to be aborting babies and we don't want to be aborting responsibility. And that's what those words mean to me. So, and that's in the government context of it when they're providing money for people and calling it school choice. Um, I know that, you know, sometimes I think it's because I'm so old that I see these things. So I grew up in a time when my father would not have taken food stamps or he would not have taken subsidized housing or he would not have taken a variety of things that are considered welfare. And now to be part of a private school that was actually paid for by public money, we would consider that welfare also. And so it's from a financial perspective, that's not a good idea. It's also not a good idea to tell men who are heads of families that they're government bureaucrats and they're going to get some money and they have to make some decisions. We also know that whenever the government gets involved and has money with the shekels, come the shackles is our favorite kind of way of saying it. And sometimes those shackles aren't there immediately, but sure, they sure do come eventually. Um, You know, who wouldn't want free money? But the thing is, there's no free money. And right now it feels like there's free money because the government's printing it like crazy and the fiat dollar is absolutely collapsing. So whether it's a moral issue about uh, if you don't work, you don't eat, and you should be paying for your own bills and for your own decisions, Versus a, um, I still would consider it a moral decision using uh, money that's not yours and encouraging an economy that's run by our government that is not healthy for my grandchildren. Um, I'll get through this. I'm not the one that's going to pay the high interest rates and have all that debt to pay off, but they'll have to uh, face that one day. So it's because I love my family. I love my country. I just think it's a really bad idea. Just like I would say Obamacare and um, subsidized health care is a bad idea. 
So for all the same reasons, but Larissa, what nobody tends to talk about is most conservatives and definitely most Christians who are thinking are against universal basic income. In other words, where somebody pays you enough money to live, right? That's that's what's destroyed the, the um, Black family in America, where women were given so much money, they didn't need their husbands. Now these white women won't need their husbands either because they're going to have so much money to pay for their kids. And it's all leading to universal basic income. Everyone's very familiar right now with the student debts that's being forgiven and that argument about that, because, you know, why should you have to pay your own bills? I mean, who... What morality is there in that? Money's just all neutral, right? And so now that, that the, uh, because of the fiat money and the inflation and COVID and a variety of other things, they're talking about forgiving our car loans and they're start talking about forgiving our mortgage loans. What the heck are we supposed to be paying for? And do you know what the very first thing is our country did that said everybody gets it for free? School. Since 1920, we've been on a socialist de decline because of universal basic education. So that was a lot of reasons you might want to. Absolutely. I have so many, but I'll start with this. Regarding the shackles for the personal family, maybe, or the country as a whole, as a homeschool mom, right? Say I take, what is it? $7,000 per kid that the government is going to be offering if the states allow it. I think it's, it's, it's each state, each state's there. But I think in North Carolina, they're offering $7,000 a kid if you're homeschooling your child. Yeah, there's some caveats, but that's about right. Okay, yeah. So if I take that $7,000 to homeschool my children, because I'm not sending them to public school or private school, I'm keeping them at home. What are there shackles that I will face or my children will face? Or in what way, as, as the generations go, can you... Can you clearly maybe articulate what some of those shackles could come our way as a country and as families? Well, it's like it's not a could come. It's already a, a known thing. There's been voucher programs and ESAs in our country for 25 years. So all we need to do is look at Alaska and California and Illinois to know what those things are. So things like... Um, what happened in California is uh, originally some of our classical conversation homeschool parents were taking the money. Um, and part of California's rule is that if you take the money, you need to submit um, quarterly assignments. Well, when they began getting their assignments sent back to them saying, you children can't write about Jesus, they stopped taking the money, right? Because with the purse comes the power. So at first, the North Carolina, they're gonna, the law is going to say, you know, you can't do that. They can write about whatever they want about. Well, that's because the Republicans just passed the law. Now what happens when liberal Democrats get back in office and rewrite the law? Everyone forgets that as the parties change, the laws change. It is not consistent. So we don't know what they're going to be asked for in North Carolina. I know that in um, and some of the other states, uh, the things that you can that have, it's not like just writing a paper, but you're not allowed to use Christian curriculum. Well, North Carolina is going to say, sure, you can use whatever you want. There's no strings attached. But think about the evil of that. Let's go back to fundamentals. And why do I say that's evil? If I'm a taxpayer giving government money that they're taking from me by force because they are the power, if they're taking that money from me, they better have oversight. They better be watching where that money spent because they took it from me with the promise it won't be abused. 
So when a legislator says, oh, we won't have any oversight, they don't know their own job and they don't know the responsibility they have to taxpayers. The whole thing is um, just the downfall of our country and the downfall of our character. But people just look at it as, I want free money. Right. So, John- Lee, what, um, as I'm hearing you correctly, you're opposed to what we would call school choice. But isn't your opposition more, more fundamental? Obviously, it would be just the public schooling system in general, right? Yes. yes. So, To those that say, well, school choice is sort of a way back out of the evil that is public school. Is that a sort of incrementalism that uh, champions of liberal education should not settle for? Is it is it a trap? So give me an instance where more government intervention gave you more freedom. You know, they're, they're couching it in the words that you just used. But the reality is that the private schoolers and the homeschoolers who are already doing what they're doing without any government intervention now start to take it. Whose power are they under? People say it gets gets them out of the public schools. No, it doesn't. It makes every private school and homeschooler a public school. That's right. That's right. And that's the the old Roman dictum, right? He who pays Mm -hmm. rules. And Mm -hmm. so this is the problem that the Catholic Church is in today. This is the problem that education is in, that we accept this free money under the guise of something good. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves controlled by the one who pays. I mean, who doesn't want food stamps? Because government right but we know that that's a really bad idea when you pay you get to have more choices and you get more freedom it's just never the, the responsibility of the government to be in charge of things the family's responsible for so tactically are, oh, tactically your position would be let the public schools keep being terrible let the public schools continue to fail so that people can have a way out that is just homeschooling or co-ops or private schooling that's totally removed from government support. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Cause if you watch what happened during COVID when the schools closed down, it was the largest era of innovation and in education that we've seen since before the 1920s. You know, people think there's only these three things, public school where it's all government money and control private school where you have to pay for it and it's expensive and uh, homeschooling where it's expensive with time. And that's absolutely not true. There are so many other variations, and COVID showed us what they were. You had yep. thousands of inner-city pastors' wives starting micro-schools. You had cottage schools. You have evening schools. You have cul-de-sac schools. Nobody's talking about any of these hybrids where five or six families who don't have money and have to work get together, and they each take one day a week. Or five or six families that have money and want to work get together and hire a governess. Mm-hmm. So many ways to skin this cat, and we don't pay attention to them because, well, the government doesn't want you to know about it. And then, of course, the media and even us homeschoolers have not done a really good job explaining what homeschooling is really like. Even the word itself, people think it means you bring school home, which I'm pretty sure Larissa knows, and I know that's not at all what happened in our families. Yeah. Right. I agree. So be, you seem like a voice crying out in the wilderness on this one. Is this movement as a mess at all organized and gaining traction? We're very organized. First, your listeners can go to um, educationalindependence.net. I'll say it again, educationalindependence.net. 
and signed the Declaration of Educational Independence, which lays out very succinctly all the things that I just said, and much more briefly. Um, that's the first thing that, that you can do. And so because of that and because of classical conversations, we've actually started a lobby organization and we have about half a dozen people working for us. And we target each state right before they bring on these laws. And so, you know, if you paid attention to some of the newer um, ones that were passed, uh, they were going to include homeschoolers. Now, they're, if they include homeschoolers, it's with more restrictions or fewer of them. Because of the 39 homeschool organizations that are state organizations in the United States, 38 of them are against it. And we've been very vocal with our legislators as these um, as these uh, opportunities to expand public monies uh, increase. Only the Texas homeschoolers are for school choice. So it, why is that? It's free money. Why would you not want free money? Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's it. Mm -hmm. They think that so, they think, everyone tells me that, okay, if all the bad stuff starts happening, Lee, if the shackles start coming on, we'll not take it anymore. Well, except for unique cases where Christians know enough not to take money from the government, what kind of money have we ever given back once they start giving it to you? Once they buy your, uh, your options from you, it's very difficult to give the money back. Yeah. So I'm in California. I have six kids age eight and under. Uh, somehow, still standing. My wife is a saintly <laughs> wife, but it's surprisingly out here, pretty friendly in the sense of the ability to do what you want with your kids with education. It's pretty, it's a pretty comfortable environment, but there is this offer <clears throat> of the free money and the free money. There's a few, we don't, we don't take it. I promise. But there is a few, there are a few families in our circle who say, well, this is great because we can get paid and we can get free gymnastics or free horseback riding or free ballet. Uh, and the government basically supports this and buys a few books for us, but we still do exactly what we want. Just practically, why is that a bad idea? Um, so is that, me, yeah, go ahead. Let me tell you a different story that's similar to that that happened in Arizona a couple months ago. A CC mom came to our director and was wondering why we were against the Arizona money. And she said, you know, I want the money because until they gave me the money, my aunt came and helped me with the kids. And I worked part time to help afford our homeschooling. And now I can stay home full time. My aunt doesn't have to come and we have this money. And my friend looked at her and said, OK, let me let me see if I'm listening to you right. So you used to rely on your own hard work and your family. And now you're relying on the government and you think this is healthy for your family. And she, of course, realized what she did, and now she's not taking the money. Right on. Are you one of those people who rips up the stimulus check when you get your Trump bucks in the mail or something like that? Or what, what do you do, actually? I'm genuinely curious. Yeah, you know, we got in a little bit of trouble because um, whenever the COVID stuff happened and all that money was going to be released, we, my husband went to our bank and asked for a personal loan to cover payroll in case things went badly. And the bank, of course, didn't know, like, doesn't think like we do. And so they actually gave us PPP money. And so mm. we're on the list of a business that took it. What people don't know is as soon as what my husband saw that, he came in and told me, he said, we got this money and it's not what I asked for. The bank assumed it's what I wanted. Well, it took him almost six months to give the money back. And he, he did give it back. 
but our name is still on the government list. So he gave it back. Your husband is the modern day Cinderella man. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie with Russell Crowe, but he gets the welfare when he's on hard times. And then when he's off hard times, he goes back to the government office and slams a bunch of money down on the table and says, take it back. So your husband could have had that money easily forgiven. It's just a pro forma, click a button and the money is absolved. And he actually paid it back out of his own money. Yeah. Well, what the bank did was the money never got exchanged. We never got any of it. The bank just exchanged the paperwork, but it took the six months to do it. Meanwhile, we were using our own funds to make sure our staff, nobody got laid off during COVID. So the Lord provides for anything that you need. Integrity is amazing how much he sponsors, he uh, endorses that and helps you out if that's what you're being. It's so true. And that's so inspiring that you're standing on principle and changing a lot of minds in the process. Because it's you're right. It's it's so hard to to say, well, we don't want the free money. Uh, or it's so hard. It's to, not free. I know. It never is. That's right. He who pays rules. Okay. Well, you changed my mind uh, or at least solidified my mind that, you know, anytime we get that chance to get the free stuff, as far as our kids' education goes, there's no such thing as no strings attached. Yeah, so to uh, tell you another story with um, the government involvement. So up in New Hampshire, if you want to have the um, ESA money, you have to get on a registered list. And a lot of states are doing that. They're not just giving the money to anybody. The private organization has to ask for permission and be verified. So now the government's verifying businesses, which they never did before. So one more time, they have their fingers involved. So some well-meaning person up there in New Hampshire put our name on and applied for the verification from the state. So Classical Conversations is listed in New Hampshire as somebody who will take the money. But we don't and we won't. Well, there's a large homeschooling organization that's Christian up there that's always been our friend. They refuse to work with us now on fighting these bills because they say we're hypocrites and we're taking the money because our name's on the list. And it doesn't matter how many times we've told them we did not put our name on that list. Somebody else did it. They don't believe us. So you see the power of government. So that homeschooling group won't work with us and won't send families to us anymore. So this money has made it so that I'm getting less customers. But you know what? It's okay. God knows what's going on. Wow. So tell me, tell me about your overall operation. I mean, I know you're doing a ton, uh, but what are you most focused on now? I think I first heard of you on, it was some Fox news documentary with, uh, what's that guy's name? Pete Hegseth. Pete Hegseth. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a champion of, of this educational movement in his own right. And I was pleased to see he had somebody like you on. So tell me everything you're doing and how can people learn more and dive more in? Well, um, again, go to educationalindependence.net. That's something everybody can go to, no matter what form of education you're choosing. And then, of course, classicalconversations.com. What a lot of people don't know is if you put in our zip code to find a community and leave your email there, somebody will contact you that's local. And you may or may not join Classical Conversations, but they're happy to have a conversation with you if you're new to homeschooling or aren't sure about what the resources are. We have 15,000 men and women trained across the United States to answer people's questions. And that's one of the reasons we continue wow. to do so very well. So, 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 you know, go to the CC site for uh, webinars and things like that. And you can also go to LeeBortons.com where a lot of my stuff on um, 
uh, independence and freedom are housed also. Tell me about your background. This is really intriguing to me. What, what's your, your past all about and how did you find yourself in this fight? I've been a freedom maximalist since I was 12 years old. I have always hated oppression and I like I started businesses when I was a child. I've just always been uh, an entrepreneur and my mom and dad both were also, so they encouraged it. Um, I just don't know a time where I didn't think, where I just didn't get angry when I saw people oppressed, especially in the name of freedom and injustice. So that's by an aerospace engineering degree um, from a state institution. Didn't know any better back then. Would have gone to private if I'd known the difference of funding, right? I was still a child at that point. Um, and then my husband- and from, Robin, from aerospace, this is my, my big question is how did, from aerospace engineering, how did you, how did you find the trivium and quadrivium? At what point in your life did you make that move? Um, well, I've never made the careerism, my God. Um, uh, I just like to learn. I'm a lifelong learner. And as uh, we homeschooled, um, I was of the generation with Susan Wise Power and Doug Wilson and uh, the sister Miriam Joseph and the people that started to write classical Christian books in the uh, 80s when I was homeschooling. And so I was reading their books and I was like, this is what we're going to do. My husband was always on board and really strong advocate for it. So um, he also has aerospace engineering degree. And so what I tell people is that we just like to learn. He has three degrees. I have a few others. It's just something that we do. (laughs) So we don't know why other people don't like to just learn things all the time. That's so beautiful. I hope I get to meet you in person sometime. One thing I've noticed when I was growing up in the golden age of the 90s, homeschoolers were rare and they were weird. The homeschoolers were super weird when I was a kid. And there was like two of them, you know, they didn't brush their hair. They were total nerds. Their parents were weirdos. Uh, and and now the tables have turned. Uh, it's almost like the homeschooling kids are not the minority. They're definitely not the weird ones. They're more socially adjusted. They're more amicable. And they're much more likely to do great things. That's just anecdotal. But what have you seen and why? Yeah. So um, if you follow the National Home Education Research Institute, they have statistics on all of that. You know, they take very thorough surveys. But the why is the more important thing. If you're honoring God and his way of um, uh, or in what he has told families they're supposed to be doing, I don't know how you can fail. Um, the yeah. So somebody asked me that from uh, the King's College, the president of it one day, asking why the same question you did. And, and I started thinking about that, you know, how can kids do badly if they're hanging around parents who like them and are raising them to be likable adults? Other people will also like them. But there's something different about a family where a mother and father will say, you know what, I don't know physics, but let's go try to learn it. Or I don't know algebra, let's go try to learn it. Uh, it, it makes it so that the child knows that parents have their back and they're doing things with them, not for them or at them, but with them. And I think it makes a different human being. Yeah, that's for sure. And there's just nobody who can educate your kids like you can, right? Uh, I always hated school as a kid. I mean, I had a few great teachers, but you know, I went to a good Catholic school, K through eight. And I think of the whole class, you know, I probably, I could, I know all the 36 kids I, I went to school with, and there's probably two of us that are still practicing the faith. And it's just a sad situation. It's a case study in educational failure, even in the private school arena. 
And so I think those of us who have taken it seriously are trying to do something that is sort of different and and new. And it's an experiment. It's so it's uncharted territory. You know, our kids, they're homeschooled and then we do a co-op. We do the CCM, which is sort of like the Catholic alternative to what you're doing. Uh, very similar. And then they meet every Friday with a group of five or six families at a church and they have uh, lessons and science labs and it's so much fun. And I see the fruits of it in my kids. And I, I feel like I was ripped off as a kid. This would have been awesome for me, um, but we're trying to do it better. So I, I think that's kind of the best we can do, right? It's uncharted territory, but do the best you can and don't don't rip your kids off like you got ripped off, right? Yeah, like whenever somebody tells me, you know, I couldn't teach this or that other thing, I, I say to them, well, then be logical and don't send your children to the same institution you went to and make sure they don't, they aren't able to teach their children the basics. It's just, we're really bad at analogy. We're really bad at logic. It's like no surprise the SATs took out analogies almost 25 years ago now. People just don't know how to think. And they, Christians, unfortunately, you know, we will say we want to capture our thoughts to Christ, but it's really, really hard to not capture them to Caesar, especially when you're sending your children to Caesar's schools. So, so true. It, it is, this is a tough question, but is there a sort of family who should not homeschool? Is there a sort of parent who should not attempt to teach in a homeschool environment? I would say no, that everybody should do that. Because here's the thing, if the Lord trusts you with a life that he created, he has a purpose that's beautiful and strong and good and true for you. What we tend to do is say, like missionaries have done for a couple hundred years now, uh, let's go get the kids. The parents are horrible. Instead of let's go befriend the parents and be a brother and sister in Christ to the parent and yeah. help them be the one who can actually raise their children. Are there any practical considerations that could limit the ability for somebody to homeschool? Um, in this day sure. and age, right? I mean, you have, you have, you know, maybe parents who need a two-income family and they both got to work. And so uh, some sort of formal schooling arrangement is sort of serving as daycare. Um, you know, what what are the practical impediments? And then more importantly, how could those be overcome in the family that wants to homeschool, but yeah. thinks they can't? Yeah, you, you said a really good word there, daycare. People associate school and daycare very closely. And they should, yeah. but I don't think you should associate education and daycare as closely as they do. And so you first have to figure out what define your terms. Do you want your children educated or do you want them to be um, cared for by somebody else? The two are not mutually exclusive, but very often they are. So the person who doesn't see how they can homeschool, um, I mean, again, what, what I opened up with, there's so many ways to get together with other people, uh, whether it's other families that are like-minded. Um, other families that are geographically close, uh, online services, um, your church. There's so many ways to find help. And the thing is, they just don't know to Google that. How to help me homeschool, right? And so that would be the first thing I would say to my parent was start asking people how they homeschool. Go to homeschool support groups, visit a co-op, ask your pastor if there's some movement within the church of people you can join up with. Um, your children are worth it. Do some work. Amen. Larissa, do you have, I know, I know Lee has to jet here. She's taping six podcasts today. Amazing. She is uh, amazing. Yeah. You are an iron lady of education. It is, is just really impressive. 
Well, listen, I had four sons and they're all gone. So I still have the same amount of energy. So now that I'm not raising them up, I have to do something with my time. That's the best time of your life to do it. God bless your work. Um, your website, one more time, so people can find it. Any other resources you want to plug on the way out? Yeah. So if you're interested in educational independence, go to educationalindependence.net. And if you're interested in homeschooling with classical conversations, you can go to classicalconversations.com. Awesome. This will not be the last time we talk. I need to do part two. Yeah, here's what I love is you're Catholic, I'm Protestant, and Larissa's Orthodox, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ who have the same goal for the same God, and we just want to have families love him the best way they can. Really Amen. Beautiful. But, but beautiful. why the heck why why the heck are you Protestant, Lee? Come on. What? How many times have I told you you can't ask people that? <laughs> I can't ask that. <laughs> conversation. What I tell people is um at heart I'm a Catholic. I just know what I'm protesting. Oh, okay. Well, that's going to be part two of our podcast conversation, I think. I'm really curious. Right. Yeah. It was nice to meet you, John. I would yeah, like to you too, Lee. This is this is awesome. Uh, really, uh, be assured of our prayers for your work. I know it's thriving right now, and there's, there's a great reason for that. So, Lee Bortons, thank you for joining us on the Magnus Podcast and magnusinstitute.org for more. Thanks. The Magnus Podcast is a production of the Albertus Magnus Institute, Incorporated. To learn more, way more, by becoming a fellow today, visit magnusinstitute.org. Copyright 2023, Albertus Magnus Institute, Incorporated. All rights reserved.